Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I am joined by Sam and James, and we're going to be discussing Blackest Night, number 0 through 4, which were published in 2009. Sam, how are you doing tonight? I am wonderful, John. How are you? I am doing well. James, how about you? Sleepy, but doing well. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully this will wake you up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, this is a, a I was going to say an eight-issue miniseries. Technically, it's nine, because it's got that zero issue. We're only talking about the first half here. And when I read this back in 2009, I was basically all in with DC. So I was reading everything. I was loving this as it came out. I was reading all the tie-ins. I was reading all the individual titles. So I was in the thick of it. Now, for this episode, which we're recording in, in 2022, which is a few years after 2009, I read just the miniseries, and so far, just zero through four for this episode. So... It's been over a decade since I've read most of those other comics, since I was in that part of the the DC status quo and continuity. And I'll be honest, I don't have the clearest recollection of of where the DC Universe was at at this point, much less where all the characters were at and all that stuff. And it was a very different reading experience. I think it was more akin to what a casual fan at the time might have had versus what I had at the time. Yeah, having no experience. Some things that people have great fondness for, they look back on those great stories like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Someone said, hey, that's one of the greatest DC events. I jumped in and read it. I'd never read much DC stuff other than like two or three years worth. It it, kind of hits you in the face. I'm like, I have no clue what's going on. It's confusing. I was reading an article today or yesterday of kind of the best graphic novels of all time and where should you start? And that was one of the top five they listed was Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I do not think that's new reader friendly. <laughs> uh, I do not. I don't think it's geared towards new readers. I, I saw that and I'm like, wow, I disagree with that recommendation. It's a great yeah. series and I love it, but... And this one's not as bad as that, but it, it does have some of that where I'm like, what's going on? I'm trying to get my footing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and so you're, you feel unbalanced and a little bit uneasy. I had some of that as I was reading through it. When there was references to, you know, Aquaman was killed off after spending months trapped in some kind of mutated state. And I'm like, all right, Aquaman, Aquaman, where was he at at this point? <laughs> and, I, I, you know, Sam and I have traded a couple of, of messages on Slack and we talked a little before we started recording tonight. And that uh, he gave me some uh, great memory jog, Sam. So I appreciate that because you're reading not only the miniseries, but like the whole event, correct? Yeah, I'm basically reading the omnibus version. I'll say this, most of the tie-ins are interesting but unimportant. That being said, the actual issues of Green Lantern and Green Lantern Core feel more necessary. Mm-hmm. Only because they the lanterns aren't in this book, at least the part we've read so far, very much. No, but it's a Green Lantern event. It is. And where the Green Lanterns are and what's going on someplace other than Earth, I mean, this series, at least at this point, is basically what the Justice League is doing on Earth, what's going on with the other cores and their batteries and their homeworlds, and the other human lanterns is being dealt with in Green Lantern and Green Lantern core at the time. 
Well, and I would argue this isn't even the the Blackest Night miniseries itself isn't even really focusing on the the Justice League in total, but really Hal, Barry, Mira, and we get a decent amount of Firestorm and Adam, but really it's it's not what I would consider kind of a, a core or iconic Justice League lineup as you would normally think. Yes. Some of the other Justice Leaguers kind of had their own minis and were self-contained. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a few others show up in these, these five issues, but yep. as Black Lanterns, not really as themselves. Yeah, and how and where they died sometimes is alluded to, sometimes it's on the page, sometimes you had to remember it happened shortly before this. I've got to say, one of the things I put in my notes as I was reading through this, and I put it on early, and felt it more and more as I went along, is would it have killed them to put in footnotes? <laughs> yeah, that would have helped quite a bit, yeah. I imagine. And, and, and I don't have any either. So again, I don't know. I don't know what you guys are reading. I'm reading, I've got the omnibus sitting here more as reference for the order, but I'm reading them digitally and there's no footnotes in any of these. They never had footnotes. Okay, fair enough. And that's yeah. my point, is they should have. Because this is one where you could be cross-selling people, oh, that, that actually sounds interesting about Aquaman. Where would I learn more? And even if it's a just, I mean, this is something that, like in, in Who's Who, what they did is at the back on the inside cover, they went through all 24, however many entries there were, and said, hey, you can find out more about this character in this current title, or in this collection, or in this arc, or wherever, or upcoming in this other title. It gave you somewhere to go. And mm-hmm. here, where, when I was in the moment reading this as it was coming out, it's like, oh yeah, of course I know what's going on with, with Aquaman with Martian Manhunter and with, with Firestorm and all this stuff. And I'll be honest, with Firestorm, it took me a little bit to remember who was Firestorm at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was weird to me. Just because getting used to the TV show and then seeing the Firestorm in here, I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> well, I mean, it's classically Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein. Yes. But that wasn't the case here, uh, really, for either half. Nope. And, you know, it's like, okay, Jason, yeah, I, I probably would have guessed him, but Jen or whatever? Man, yeah. I have vague memories of her being part of the Matrix. I would have actually, if I had had to guess, probably would have gone with uh, Lorraine Riley, uh, Firehawk. Yeah. And that love tension type thing they have going on there, there's kind of weird since they have to combine. Mm-hmm. Just kind of odd. <laughs> I was going to say, and to be fair, I don't think Gwen is much more than a story device for this story. She was a member of the Matrix for a bit. Uh, yeah, not that long, but yes. Not a year or two, maybe, but more maybe. than just this arc. Yes, but yeah, they, yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those things where with any event, and Blackest Night was absolutely an event, mm-hmm. it touches pretty much every major character, every major title. And there are sometimes exceptions of, you know, some characters busy off doing their own thing and we can't interrupt that creative team and story. But generally speaking, I mean, the titles involved here, to varying degrees, obviously the Green Lantern titles were front and center in this. There was the Blackest Night miniseries, but it touched a few issues of every monthly title that was out at the time, I think. Yeah. I have the omnibus too that Sam has, so I know there's a lot a lot, lot more to this story. And I actually have the entire Jeff Johns Green Lantern run in, in Omnibus mm-hmm. form. There's three of them. And so I really need to read that stuff because just going into the big event, which was later on in his run, it, it's just a little bit 
I have no clue what's going on in DC, so I just kind of roll with the punches. I'm I'm thinking, taking it at face value. Everyone's dead. Okay, this is who they are. Okay, I'm not going to question it just because I don't know what to do. I, I have no frame of reference. Well, and Jeff Johns spent years building up to this. Yeah, I can imagine. I feel that because there's a big story here that I want to know, but I just have no clue right now. Well, I mean, building up the whole Sinestro Corps, then introducing, you know, Agent Orange, uh, the Red Lanterns, uh, dropping the hints of a few others, because some of the others had been introduced but not really explored a whole lot. I mean, hell, we're 15 years later almost, and I'm not going to claim that the Indigo Tribe has been overly explored even since then. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen them. <laughs> well, and they weren't explored much before this either, other no. than that they existed. I think at one point we got part of an arc in one of the Green Lantern books with them, but it didn't give a whole lot of information, but just kind of made it clear they were not like the other cores. And I think we've probably gotten as much or more on the ultraviolet lanterns of more <laughs> recent years than we got on the violet lanterns, or the indigo ones. Yeah, I know. I know uh, that Sam's not reading current comics, but yeah, there's a new uh, Ultraviolet. Thing yeah, going see, on. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it was something that was introduced in the the Justice League title uh, a few years ago. I mean, they've since this group of of or this story and this group of cores, they've introduced the Ultraviolet Lanterns, the Phantom Ring, a Gold Lantern over in Legion that they have yet to explain. By this point, we'd had the the seven. Uh, emotional spectrum parts of, you know, the red, the orange, the yellow, the green, the blue, the indigo, and the violet. And then we get the black lanterns here. And I think it's coming out of this leading into Brightest Day, where we get yet another ring of the uh, the white lantern ring. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the black lantern counter that they have going on in there, mm-hmm. I know S- Sam's a big uh, Spawn fan, but that reminds me of the countdown in the Spawn yep. comic. Just so much. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and the whole thing was, you know, these Black Lanterns that we're getting were specifically chosen in terms of what would get the biggest emotional reaction out of somebody. Yeah. Because they were collecting emotion, and that's what they were kind of using to power up. And I thought that was an interesting idea, and we get a few people that were unable to be, I'm not, I don't want to say resurrected, because I really liked it when they explained a few issues into this. They were theorizing it's not that the person is wearing the ring, but the ring is wearing the person. And it's basically using them as a template and kind of a corrupted version of that. Because let's face it, when we get Ralph and Sue, when we get the Hawks, when we get Tula, Dolphin, and a lot of these other people and such, we're getting a very dark, dystopic, nightmare version of them, essentially. Correct. But the ring was using enough of their, I don't know, genetic memory or whatever... To, to get the basic personality blueprint and then, you know, how to turn it, unsurprisingly, very dark. Well, and I think it's in these issues, there's one very specific person that just says, oh, they're at peace. Can't do anything with them. That was Dove of Hawk and Dove. Y- yeah, Don Hall. Yeah, anyone who is, is at peace or whatever could not be resurrected. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I think they probably could have explained that a little better. Yeah. Well, you do get Hank, who, uh, if one of them was at peace, that would be the one. <laughs> yeah, but what I would have liked with Hank is to have a red ring just hovering around him trying to get in. Yeah. Because he was always just a bit, you know, at rage. Yep. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that key at the very end of uh, issue zero, 
it got me excited to read the Jeff Johns stuff because I know he did the whole, you know, spectrum of colors. And it was mm-hmm. kind of cool just seeing the basically everything that made up the color cores. And I, I like that. So uh, if anything, I came out of this excited to read the whole thing and just realizing I'm not going to know a lot of what's going on right I now. Th- I think doing those profile pages at the end of the Zero Issue was a very smart move. I do too. And they were reused from just a month or so before. There was a three-issue mini called Tales of the Core Blackest Night that came out right before the series. Mm. Ah. And each of them had like two eight to ten page stories on one of the cores, either explaining its origin or a major member of it. Ah. And then that page was at the end of the, the story with that core. Ah, very cool. And then they got reprinted here at the end of Blackest Night Zero. That's very cool. I, I really like those. They, they were very clever. So I'm glad they reused them. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because there, there's five issues that technically came as preludes before Blackest Night. There are those three. There's a Titan issue that explains Garth deciding to want to become the King of Atlantis. And the Green Lantern issue right before Blackest Night Zero really gives us the history of the Black Hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he had, prior to this, been a bit of a nothing Green Lantern villain in the grand scheme yes, of things. exactly. And this turned him into a really big deal. I think all of this stuff that led up to and culminated with Blackest Night was probably the best example of the kind of world-building and universe-building stuff that Jeff Johns did at DC. Yeah. You know, we had the Sinestro ring, but building it into a core, adding the the rest of the emotional spectrum, and some of these are, are things that are still in use today to varying degrees. I mean, I would say mainly the Red Lanterns, I mean, Sinestro had been a big thing before, but, you know, the Yellow Lanterns and stuff, too. But to to expand the Green Lantern franchise the way he did, I think was really cool. Well, and the, the, the two Guardians that have left to be joined other cores as well, in Ganth and Scar. Ganth has been a go-to Guardian for tons of stories. Yes, but he hadn't actually left the Guardians and kind of taken on the Blue Lanterns until, well, shortly before, around the Sinestro Corps War. Was he the one, though, that kind of left the Guardians for a while, became mortal, and hung out with uh, Ollie and yep. Hal in the Hard Traveling yep. Heroes? Yeah. Yep. And he, he was like, yeah. And even in Crisis, he's the one that's kind of against them all, and yes. Yeah. He's, he's kind of always the voice of dissent. I was going to say, the nonconformist of them. Uh, but I don't think Scar we knew much about until this or right before this. Agreed. I think this was when Scar really came into being. Yeah. Because let's face it, other than Ganthet, there were a few. There's one who's got a three-word name, Appa something or other. But most of them don't even have names, or at least not if they get used often. Who's the one that caused Crisis? Why, why, was, his name's escaping me. Krona? Krona. Yeah, there, there was him. <laughs> well, he wasn't a guardian. He, he wasn't was, from that race? He was from that race, okay. but he was not a guardian. Fair enough. Because he was from an earlier time in that race, and there's still, or at least at one point, was the planet Maltus, where their you know, race had lived, it just overcrowded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but only some of them, I think, kind of elevated to the, the guardians. But that's been a few continuities ago, so I could be misremembering, <laughs> or I could just be wrong. A few continuities ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say, though, that this red surprisingly different from me this time when I didn't have, you know, at my fingertips, here's where all these other characters are at, here's what's going on, here's the status quo and such. I mean, it read okay, 
But when I was reading everything else, and it's like, ooh, here are the characters that are tormenting the JSA or the Titans or, you know, whomever, that really worked for me. Even though they were hitting similar story beats, they were doing it in very ways personal to those characters, making those stories matter to those characters. And I think it really fleshed out a lot of what was going on, whereas here it was dangerously close to almost being a little bit of a horror kind of movie vibe to it, if you will. You know, kind of the zombies are coming. That's that's the way I read it. It, it, it was very horror, doom and gloom, the first half of this. Uh, everyone's dead, the heroes are gone, and this countdown to ultimate evil. That's, that's kind of how I, I read it. Well, and I think that was the story presented in the Blackest Night miniseries itself. Yeah, I mean, even the, uh, what is it, 666 they come from, the Black... Uh, Sector 666, Sector, where the yeah, was, so, yeah. So everything, so I'm looking at it as, this is the gate to hell is opening up shortly. Something's mm-hmm. happening along those lines. But they're big, uh, busy enough giving the big picture, they don't really have time to get personal like they do in a lot of those other stories and titles. And, and again, remember, it's all a matter of perspective. And I think in issue three or four, Indigo One kind of points that out mm-hmm. and says, you know, decay, death, timelessness are the natural state of things and light and life. We are the trespassers here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it plays with perspective on, on life and death as well. Well, and it was an opportunity to really revisit some of the traumas that made some of the, the heroes who they are. Oh, absolutely. You know, we just don't get much of that here in the miniseries itself, but in the event overall. Yeah. And some of the more recent deaths, the other thing I got to say, the art, Ivan Rice is phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. He is a terrific artist. Yeah, he is. And the, the coloring is so well done. If, I don't know who did the coloring, but the, these pages are gorgeous and colorful and bright. And yeah. And some of the, I think it's, is it in Zero where he has to basically redraw fairly recent panels of some deaths, namely John and Bruce's. And I think he does a great job with. Yeah, well, and also when they revisit all the deaths of the various people associated with the Green Lanterns and such, yep, there's there's a lot of downer aspects to it when it's and this person died and this person died. Yeah. By the way, it was uh, Alex Sinclair who was the colorist. Ah, oh, okay, yeah. And this is one where again, when you've got uh, particularly later in the story, so many different colored rings floating about, having the colors pop, having them be the right colors and stuff, it, it matters. It does. I did like getting to see Ralph, Sue, and, and some of the uh, the other satellite-era Justice Leaguers and such. I would have preferred if they weren't Black Lanterns, of course, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> I did find it interesting how Blackest Night number 1 had kind of that anniversary of the day they thought Superman died, and how it was now a day to honor the heroes that died protecting people and the innocents they failed to save. What I found odd is that day didn't have like a, a name didn't it i was surprised too I, you would think it would be like a big thing a mm-hmm. big event but i mean it, th- yeah they don't mention it here they they mentioned that that's the day they do this and it seems to be a big thing that everybody does oh you're right there is no name it just yeah it says basically what you just said without giving it a name yeah like here it should be called heroes day or who knows something or remembrance day or i mean there's half a dozen different things you could call it but to not call it anything which is kind of weird yeah, that, that is odd. Just celebration. <laughs> well, but that's the thing, is it's it's not an uplifting celebration, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. 
So it was something that I think they should have done a little bit more with both at the time and frankly since. I agree. And the first issue was the whole setup for, this is where I was realizing, man, everyone's dead that I, the big names, they're all dead. I mean, other than, you know, some of the Green Lanterns, you have Flash and a few heroes here and there, but most of the big names are, are gone. Well, who are you thinking? I think most of them are back. Well, I guess you have Aquaman. Aquaman's dead. Aquaman's dead. Martian Manhunter's dead. Martian Manhunter. Superman, is he back? Yeah, Superman's long back. Yeah. Okay, fact, he's long back. In, in this, you see him at his father's grave, who had died fairly recently, along with the clone Superboy, who was kind of his son. Okay. I think that's yeah, that that's in issue one here. Yeah, but I, I think the thing that really sums it up is in issue one, where you've got the two-page splash, where Hal is using his ring to show Barry everyone who's died since Barry was gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we've yeah. got everything from Ralph and Sue, Batman, a number of JSAers, Aquaman, a couple of people that I don't think Barry would have even known because they didn't come into being until after uh, Crisis and such. And there were a couple. It's like, okay, Bawana Beast is dead. Tragic, I'm sure, but I'm not sure a lot of people remember. But it does show. I mean, there's enough to field at least a JSA team or two, a Justice League, probably a Titans team or two. I think we've got most of, uh, or at least a couple of, of Doom Patrollers, etc. Yeah. There's a lot of people there. Yeah. And, and then a lot of the big characters are just missing. Like, you don't see Wonder Woman, you don't see Superman, you don't see a lot of just the big names. Batman. Well, Batman's dead. Batman's dead. Yeah, he's one of the other one dead. Sorry. Yeah, he's there in the center. But again, Superman and Wonder Woman, while they both died, they came back. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's who's still dead. As did Barry and Hal. Yeah. Is this are they all dead from fifty two? Is that why they're dead? I don't I don't know. Uh, different people, different reasons. Okay. Okay. A couple of these are from Crisis. Most of these are Infinite Crisis. Most of the ones they're talking about regularly are Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis. Okay. Batman and Martian Manhunter just died in Final Crisis. Okay. But a couple of these others, Dove, Cole, a few of those... Those go way back. I mean, because we're dealing with everything that happened since 1986 when Barry died in Crisis yeah. through 2009. Wow. So you got like 15 years of character deaths to kind of put in there. Yeah. Wow. A lot of characters. And a lot of them have come back a time or two since. Yeah. And once again, death means nothing in comics. That's <laughs> uh, an inconvenience, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that really undercuts both this kind of a story and everything else. Now, if they did a, I don't say a sequel to this, but if they did a another Blackest Night kind of a thing, but the twist was the rings only impact living people who had died, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that'd I'm not be saying cool. they should do it, I'm saying they could. Well, and that's the thing, I mean... Harry, and it does come up, I think, here, but it comes up later, too. They talk about how Clark died, mm -hmm. how Wonder Woman died, how both of them died. And the other one they keep mentioning is Ollie. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of the core Justice Leaguers who had been dead but are currently living when this series begins. I'm trying to think of a core, and I tend to go satellite era, Justice Leaguer that hasn't died. And the Hawks, of course, but they die all the time. Yeah, well, that's their thing, so. <laughs> They're both the start of the list and the exception to the list. Including yeah. in this issue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
the Hawkstein, just the start of a new volume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think if Zatanna has died and come back, but she's one of the few. You could argue Red Tornado, but he's an android and elemental, so he's a special case anyways. Yeah. But it, again, it's staggering um, how many people they could put on this list, and there's probably a few others they could have added. Do we have Jason Todd in here? I, I didn't see him. He appears in the Batman miniseries. He does, oh, okay. but I'm just wondering if, if Hal was putting him in the spread here. Yeah, I, I can't. I'd as much as I love the coloring here, I would have preferred it to not be all green, because it's easier to spot the characters. Wasn't Jason Todd back? Yeah, so he was back as of uh, Infinite Crisis, I think. Yeah, yeah right, the, whole, right. the whole punch and wall and all that was the, the end of Infinite Crisis. Piper time punch or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, That's where I struggle with this kind of stuff, is it's been ages since I've read those things. It's hard to keep track of who died when and came back when. I, I tell you, I have half a mind to start a web page on my site that would just be a timeline where we could be marking, you know, on the publishing timeline, when characters died, when they came back. So the next time we would do an event like this, I could be looking, oh, well, before this, here's where Aquaman was. Here's where, and not like every event, but just the big things. They died, they came back, you know, this team reformed with a new membership, or time got rewritten and we've got a new reality, or, you know, things like that. Yeah. But it would be a lot of work. Yeah, the barrier to entry into the modern-day comic world. <laughs> but the thing of it is, it doesn't have to be. It really doesn't, if it's explained well. But as every writer does today, they just kind of roll with what's going on right then and don't explain anything. And so a reader picks it up and they're like, uh, if you haven't been reading it the whole time, you're done. They just assume you know. Exactly. Exactly. Almost, almost like every reader is the longtime continuity reader. With perfect memory, and I think that's yes. a mistake to assume that. Again, when they were doing the JLA-JSA crossovers every year, typically one of the first eight pages was devoted to, here's what parallel worlds are, because they didn't assume you remembered it from last year, or that you just knew. Well, and it's hilarious, because they all assume you know exactly what they know. Mm -hmm. Because yes. this happens all the time. You get writers that don't give you notes, or assume you remember something, but if you've been reading as long as someone like John, you can remember that that's the third version of that thing that happened. Mm -hmm. It's just the one the writer remembers. And he didn't remember the, or she didn't remember the previous versions. Or didn't know about them, or they had lost track. Yeah. This character had already come back and died again, or... Exactly. So yeah, they expect you to know exactly what they know. Not necessarily know everything. They just assume everyone has their knowledge base. Yeah. I think at some point, we went from having... A, a canon for DC and Marvel to the head canon of whatever writer it was. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where things really started to fall apart. I agree. And honestly, you, you think, you don't even have to go back that far, back to the 80s when most of us really got heavy into comics in the 80s. You know, I mean, maybe you read one here or there went in the 70s, but not a ton. Things were much simpler to, to get into, it seemed like. They explained who the character was, what the power was. The stories were a little bit shorter. They didn't have those big events where they're fun. I like them, but they were fewer and further between. But now you, it's almost like you have to be versed in this stuff for decades and that perfect memory of the writer or just in general to really know what in the hell's going on. Well, I, I think you could draw a dividing line in comics around 1985 with kind of the pre-event, post-event mentality. Yeah. Because it was 
easier to keep track of things when they hadn't kept rewriting who was who and, you know, what was their origin. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I don't think it was for the better for comics either to, to have that change. No, it, it probably ties into where you're seeing, like, the comic reader base shrinking a little bit is people still like comics. You know, they're just kids are reading manga right now. Everything's just a done in this many volume story. It's not perpetual continuity. They don't have to know all this stuff. There's no barrier to entry. So it, it makes it easy. They've lost the casual fan. Yeah, they're gone. Because, I mean, as a casual fan, you look at this and you're like, damn, this is overwhelming. There's yeah. <laughs> dozens of characters in this two-page spread, probably, I don't know, 50 or more at least. That's yep. not that you need to know who all of them are, just that there are so many makes the point, etc. But I was struck by how many times as I was reading these issues, I was like, man, I don't remember this. I guess this character was dead at this point, too. I forgot where they left off with, you know, this, that, and the other and such. But they just assume, hey, well, you're reading everything now, you know everything. Yeah. If I showed this picture to my sister, she would know Batman, she would know Aquaman, she may know Firestorm from, from basically the TV show if she's watching it. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she'll know The Flash, of course, but he's not dead, and, but she won't even know who Green Lantern is. She'll have no clue. So, uh, yeah, you, you get this, you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> Imagine how well comics could be doing if, with the rise of uh, the, the MCU, the Arrowverse... Smallville before it, other things like that that really popularized these characters. Yeah. If the comics had stayed affordable and accessible. Man, you'd have all the kids and all the young readers reading this stuff, and it'd probably be mass-produced. The casual reader would be reading, and we'd be buying them. Even if they don't get everything every month or anything every month, they'd be able to come in once in a while, pick something up, enjoy it, and they would come back. Yep, yep. I think we've, we found the, the problem. <laughs> Not new to me, but yes, I would agree. Yeah. Well, and this was a particularly interesting time that I think A fixed some of it. Jeff Johns and Grant Morrison had done basically back-to-back crises with Infinite and Final, and they killed off a ton of characters each in those two events. Well, there was a little bit of time, I thought, because Infinite Crisis was 2005. Well, yeah, but then you had the one year later in 52, which kind of bleeds into it. So you're really talking 2005, 2007, and then pretty much Final Crisis from 2007 to 2009 with Countdown and Final Crisis itself. Yeah, you had the series of of weekly miniseries and such, and even after this, we got The Brightest Day, which was was that bi-weekly with another title going in between? I'd have to go check. Brightest Day is... I, I. it's weird because my plan is to read it after we're done with this. As I remember, it's more like this. I'm not sure there was a... I because thought it was it... like a 25-issue thing and like a Justice League something or other was the other weeks in between. Well, there was the Trinity book, which was a weekly book somewhere yes. around here, too. I thought oh, yeah. that it already happened by now, and it was kind of its own offshoot thing. I don't remember because there was Countdown. Well, Countdown to Final Crisis. And then was there one during Final Crisis, or was Trinity after Final Crisis? I think Trinity was after. Which, this is only three months after. But Trinity was a self-contained kind of a deal. It it really was. (laughs) It it had its own kind of alternate timeline that it spent a lot of time in, etc. And it was a fun read, but I think it comes down to we were in a, a heavy event mode in comics at the time. Not just at DC, Marvel was doing a ton of them as well. 
Oh, yeah. And when you're shaking things up so violently so often, it's both a little hard to follow and almost a little pointless to follow. Yeah, if you're reading it by the issues as they're coming out, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you know what's going on. It's the best thing since sliced bread because it's almost like the payoff for all the work that you put in reading all this stuff. But if you are coming in, man, you are done because you got to go back several years to understand what the heck's going on. Well, it would be like somebody watching Avengers Endgame and starting the MCU with that. Yeah, it'd be like, who's this guy? (laughs) Maybe they watch, you know, Infinity War before it or whatever, but not having seen all the movies that built up to it. You're not attached to the characters, you don't know what's going on, you don't have the context. And that was something that, again, I've had both sides of that with this story. When I was in the thick of it, reading it every week as it was all coming out, and now, you know, what, 12, 13 years removed, you know? Just a completely different experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is lesser for it because I don't have that extra context, both of the universe at the time and all the side stories. And I just, I didn't have the time to, to go dig through, you know, that many books. And Sam, I, I appreciate you doing that with the Omnibus. I think that's, that's a lot of reading. I had nothing else to read. And I'm like, I enjoy this. Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> By the way, there's a Brightest Day Omnibus getting ready to be solicited in the next uh, solicit, yep. just so you know. And- and I well now and I am looking. So Brightest Day was a twenty-five issue series. Well, zero through twenty-four. However, when you look at like the event in like the DC Infinite thing, mm-hmm. and you go to full event, there's the Generation Lost title. That was the other the, one that was in between every other week. There's all the Green Lantern titles. There's all the Justice League titles of the time. There's a bunch of Flash issues. There, it looks like there's 103 issues listed in the complete Brightest Day storyline. Mm-hmm. Well, it was tying into a lot of things. That's where they first tried to bring the Calderon version of Aqualad from Young Justice, the cartoon, into the DC universe. Yeah. There were a few other characters they tried to kind of get established there. Some took, some didn't. Yeah. And, and the, the kind of the, the one-line pitch for the event was in the wake of Blackest Night, 12 previously deceased heroes and villains are revived in search for a new purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, Maxwell Lord is clearly back after this. Mm-hmm. Well, and Maxwell Lord, I think, was a key player in the Justice League Generations Lost stuff. Absolutely. Aquaman is back after this. Firestorm is back at, well, a version of Firestorm is in this. Yeah, there, there's, they brought, Deadman came back after that as well. And, so, yeah, they did bring back a bunch of, or 12 of them specifically after Blackest Night, or in Blackest Night. Mm-hmm. Well, when you've got this large of a universe, there are going to be characters that fall out of play. Some yeah. of them are worth bringing back, some of them not so much. Yeah. That's right, This is where Ted, that's where Ted Kord ends up coming back, too, I forgot about Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I know this may be sacrilege, but I felt like this was easier to read for me than Crisis on Infinite Earths, the other one that we did. Oh, absolutely. So it's way easier, way more accessible, and I was able to read and just kind of roll with it. Okay, this is kind of happening. I didn't question it. But so this story really had that going for it, and it made me want to read more of the Green Lantern stuff. But at the same time, for where we are, I'm just kind of a little bit lost in some of the things. Well, I mean, this is an event, so it's touching on a lot of things. But Crisis was just about touching on everything. Everything. It It was overwhelming, honestly. Oh, yeah. And I guess here's the the other question, James. 
how much of that is the story and how much of it's the style? One of these is just much newer. Mm. That's that's a good question because, yeah, th- this style, there's way less text on the page, I would say, than uh, in the modern comic versus an older comic. So it's a quicker read. And um, I-, I think style may have something to do with it, honestly. I think it's got a lot to do with it because there's some of it here where we spend some time building the mood. Oh, geez, the Hawks are going to go, you know, kill people or whatever and all that kind of a stuff. Whereas in the equivalent amount of space that that takes, uh, five worlds have died, I think, over in Crisis. Yeah. One little panel, you have so much going on. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, so much is happening here. So I do think it's definitely a difference in style. I think it's also a difference in intent. Yeah, very true. But I, I, I love the art. I love the colors in here. Th- this first issue was kind of, they had some cool moments in here, you know, where you have the, um, I always forget the blue guys, what their names are. The the, ones the Guardians. Are, Guardians, yeah. When the little, I guess he almost can say the fake Guardian went for the other's neck. That was awesome. Kind of gruesome, but awesome. <laughs> kind of gross. That 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 is Scar. That is yeah. Scar, the Black Lantern Guardian. Yeah. Yeah, but I, how many times have the Guardians been pretty much wiped out? A lot. <laughs> I've even seen them wiped out. <laughs> the current planet has been wiped out, hasn't it? And the current Green Lantern? Oa's gone? I think so, but I mean, we saw it get wiped out pretty much in Crisis. There have been a few other times they get axed or whatever, or at least at one point I think they just left the known universe but got replaced by their long-lost uh, cousins or whatever and such. And yeah, So they just keep dying. All right. <laughs> well, they're... Characters that are intrinsic to the Green Lantern core, plus now all of these other cores, they're a, a intergalactic force of power. It's you're gonna want to put them back in play at some point. Oh, definitely. So anytime you take them out without a clear game plan and good way to bring them back, that's a mistake. It really is, and that's where I don't know where the current Green Lantern story is going that we're reading. You know, outside of here, because. I think I think it's kind of a mess. I think it is going to end at issue 12, because I don't know that they've solicited after that. And I think from there it goes into Dark Crisis. Ah, they're just going to, uh, this isn't working, let's reboot the whole thing. I'm not even that it's not working, it's we may not have time to do another arc before Dark Crisis, so let's not try. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah, where, where they are, nobody's powered, the planet's blown up. <laughs> yeah. Time to fix it. So they did a, a ton of fun stuff here. They really did. Great visuals. Uh, I really think, again, as we've said a few times, the art, the color, and stuff on this, just phenomenal. I would say the art is the hero in this entire event. The art and the color, it's just, like Sam was saying, it really pops. I like having the whole rainbow cast. Very clean lines, beautiful artwork, and just some cool moments that would have had more impact if I knew a lot of the background. I gotta say, one of the places where the colorist really stepped to the forefront is like when we're getting the Hawks before they get killed. Okay. Hawkman has rage, Hawkwoman, Hawkgirl has love, and they're in their respective colors. Oh, yeah. You know, when they do the knockouts and the line work like that and stuff, it, it really, you know, calls out kind of what's going on with the emotional spectrum. Yeah, beautiful. So as far as, as DC events go, and there have been oodles of them over the years, this was one that was a ton of fun at the time. I think one of the things that makes it unique and really stand out is the fact that we don't have Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman kind of hogging the spotlight. We get time to spend with the Atom, with the Flash, with with Hal and stuff like that. Um, So 
those characters really get to, to step to the forefront. And I think that was great. I think so, too. And believe it or not, when I first started really reading DC as a monthly book, the two books that I enjoyed the most, and this was uh, the Rebirth thing, mm-hmm. were Aquaman. I really liked Aquaman. It was Dan Abnett who was writing, I think, then. And I really liked Robert Venditti, who was doing Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like my first loves at DC. And so when it's written well, it's very enjoyable. And it was nice to not have to read, not to be you know negative, but so much is Batman all the time. It's nice to not read Batman. It's nice to not read Superman. It's nice to have the Green Lanterns be the focus because I like them. I think they're fun. I think they're cool. Well, if you like the Green Lantern stuff, those, those omnibus you've got with uh, Jeff Johns, that's some of the best Green Lantern stuff around. And I've been a Green Lantern fan since, you know, late 70s, early 80s and such. And that's the best. So I got the best of the best. All right. I'm happy. He's a huge fan. He was building it up. He was going in a lot of bold new directions, yet respectful of the past. Yeah. I'd put his run on Green Lantern up there with, like, Mark Wade's run on Flash. I'm trying to think of a few others that just did some really high-watermark runs that created new continuity and and world-building and stuff while doing it on the shoulders of the past and respecting it and and leveraging it and not just dismissing it, oh, they got it all wrong, I'm going to do it right. No, none of that, you know? That that said, James, Mm -hmm. don't completely dismiss the prior, particularly the O'Neill and Adams stuff. Oh, yeah. Again, the art and stories are great there, too. And most of that, I believe, is the late 70s. Okay. I I was not trying to imply any of the stuff before it was bad. Yeah. But that, I I think Jeff Johns rose it to a new level. Yeah. And it was good before. And you're right. Some of the stuff from the 70s, the hard-traveling heroes and whatnot, that's something that is just classic storytelling. Yeah. I mean, and they just have some terrific characters, you know? I mean... uh just bizarre cast of characters. And, and there's several of them that I, I really like. Some of them are they're just weird, you know? To yeah. see. Well, <laughs> let's face it, with the Hard Traveling Heroes, you've got Green Lantern hanging around with Green Arrow. One guy has one of the most powerful pieces of jewelry slash weaponry in the galaxy. Another has a bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah, the arrow guy done right can be good, but man, that's just not a good team up. <laughs> It can work. It can. It can. So, yeah, I thought this was a ton of fun. I, I thought it was good, too. I, I'm ready for the, the whole Necron thing, and the now we're at the 100%. When you get to the end of issue four, I felt like, okay, this is the halfway point. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like the bell rings. Fight. You know, the fight's on. All this was build up, now the fight's on. That That's just the way I felt, because I didn't read anything beyond issue four, so I have no clue what's coming, but that's just the vibe you get. Well, yeah, I mean, we've had... Like the the bodies in the morgue under the Hall of Justice getting resurrected. The army has been gathered. Yep. You know, there's there's a lot going on, and they definitely build it up to where we can have a serious amount of action after this. Exactly. Yep. And we, we get some cool stuff in the second half. I'm ready for it. I, I think this is going to be fun, even though I don't know a lot of stuff. I'm just going to roll with it. But I think it's a fun event. Art's great. Story's good. And it's I think it's the only thing is the accessibility. I think this may re- read better. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the omnibus, I think because of all those side stories, I know more of what's going on. I don't know if that's true. Okay. All right. I would say either in the omnibus or at the very least with a well-written forward. That, yeah. Maybe a forward would have helped. Something like, here's what's going on. You know, here's blah, blah, blah. And here's my 
what I was doing is, you know, Jeff Johns wrote up a forward. That would have been great. I mean, if, if this were a Marvel book, I would have almost started with the Watcher recapping, here's what happened to Batman, here's what happened to him, here's what happened to him, and now this. I think that's what they tried to do with the Zero issue with Harry and Bell, uh, Harry, uh, Barry and Hal talking about it. And they did recap at least Batman and Martian Manhunter's death, which were fairly recent at the time. And like, you know, that page you talked about that you enjoyed so much, John, I, I think they tried to do a recap there. I, I don't know how successful it was as a recap, but I, I think that's what it was tried. They definitely tried. I just think in a forward or with something that gave a little more context where you could get more information or more of a memory jog other than, yeah, they died. Yeah. That said, I, again, I'm reading it all, so I, I'm enjoying it. I don't know if reading the Omnibus gets you that much more accessibility, James. Okay. It does get you, is it all the characters you're going, why, you know, oh, Superman must be, no, no, he's just in a different series. Wonder Woman must be, no, she's just in a different series. It, it gives you much more of that okay. than more accessibility. So Superman's having his own issues with Black Lanterns off in he is. action or Superman or wherever he is. And yeah, doing he's his in thing. Smallville and having his own issues with his own Black Lanterns. Yep. Yeah, almost right, everybody cool. was getting tormented by the, the people they lost that would get the biggest, you know, emotional yeah. reaction out of them. That's very yeah. cool. So anyways, I think it's going to end up well. I, I, this was like um, a good buildup and it's four issues to do it. It's an easy read, but good content, great art. Now, we got a couple of questions from uh, Jason Z around this. Let's go look at those real quick. Yeah. First, he wanted to ask if we could cover the state of the DCU during this time, specifically Batman being dead at the beginning of the event after Final Crisis, then later when the Black Lantern Batman was killed again. We'll talk about that in the next episode when we talk about the other half. And finally, at the end, when it was revealed Batman was still alive, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, this is, again, as, as Sam had kind of mentioned, after Final Crisis, where, uh, as they mention in either the Zero or the first issue, Batman got zapped by um, Darkseid and was, was thought to be dead at the time. Well, and they had a body, you know. That, that, that page at the end of Final Crisis, what is that, seven or six, uh, with Superman holding his body. Um, mm-hmm. And there, as we learn in this issue, there is a grave. And like I said, this came, I, I didn't realize how quickly after Final Crisis this came. There was the Battle for the Cowl, three issues, which kind of established that Dick Grayson was going to become Batman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it pretty much followed right after that. Yeah, yeah. Let's see, one of the other questions I think we'll save for the next one, because it's about stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. Another one uh, question Jason had was, one asked why some of the characters were able to come back to life, others stayed dead. As we've talked about a few times, characters like Dove that were quote-unquote at peace couldn't get animated by the, uh, the, the black power rings. There just wasn't the, uh, the emotional juice there, I guess. Well, and some of them, I think the writer, or you, you can't include everyone. I believe Dr. Midnight's deceased at this point. I don't think we see him anywhere other than on that splash page you mentioned, John. Mm-hmm. Did we not see him over in the JSA uh, Blackest Night? I haven't gotten to a JSA issue. Okay. Through four. It's interesting because the, the miniseries, they're, they're a three-issue miniseries, and they're, they're basically split in two halves as well. There's the ones that took place during what we've read, and then there's the ones that take place during what we're going to cover next time. Mm-hmm. And, and they have very different feels uh, as, you know, they are kind of what we've read, you know, these different characters being tormented by the, and then it's more the battle and, you know, like, perfect example, Flash has one of the miniseries coming up. 
it was clearly alive and fine here. Yeah, yeah. But what I was going to the one that surprised me, Mara mentions her baby multiple times in this series. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we ever see Arthur Jr. as a Black Lantern. No, I think he was too young to to be a viable Black Lantern in terms of what would you do with him. And and again, that's a much, that's an older story. Death of a Prince is mid-70s, I want to say. Mid-70s, and Junior died when he was just a baby or whatever child. I mean. He he was young. In Rebirth, didn't she have another kid for the first time? I don't know. Probably. I t- <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> like in Rebirth, I t- I, they just had a kid and stuff. Like not they that have long had ago. a kid recently. There I just are- don't remember if Arthur Junior was back in continuity or not. Oh, okay. I believe they have three children total, oh. and at this point, Arthur Junior is the only one, and he is dead at this point. Yeah, I think the other two are both after this. Now, the other thing I do want to touch on, and I don't know if it was released during these issues or the ones after, but they had seven of the uh, the tie-in issues. If the retailer ordered, in most cases, 25 copies, in a few cases, 50 copies, they were able to order one bag of, like, 50 promotional power rings of a particular color. Very cool. I like that. So for Doom Patrol number four, it was the yellow rings. For Booster Gold, it was orange. For Justice League of America, it was red. Blackest Night number five, so I guess it would be in the next issues we're talking about then. That's where they got the green uh, power ring. Adventure Comics number four was blue. Rebels 10 was indigo. Outsiders 24 was violet. And man, I remember when I was crunching the the sales numbers on this, in some cases, these things shot up to like four or five times the normal sales for the title. People wanted this ranks. Adventure Comics, Justice League, Outsiders... And the Superman, Batman, and Rebels were between three and four. Justice League, Doom Patrol, Booster Gold, and Teen Titans, and Secret Six were between four and five. Okay, so right around the end of this stuff we're reading then. All right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Did you guys get any of the rings? Oh, absolutely. Ah, nice. I've got the whole set. I've got uh, two or three of the whole set. They later got them for sale a little easier and such, but I got them with the, the comics and such. And I'm not going to claim they're brilliant or whatever. They're, you know, inexpensive, you know, plastic rings that are a little big and clunky, but they're still cool. Yeah, nice. And it's weird. I picked up up that box. I don't remember when these came. There's also a white ring I have and a Legion flight ring, which I'm assuming were around the same time, but I don't remember. It was a little after. I think the white one was part of the Brightest Day stuff. Okay. I forget which one had the black ring, but that would have been part of all of this. And then they did the Legion one, I think, when they were rebooting that title in 2010, maybe. I'd have to go check. And then there's also a Flash ring they did, either when they restarted the Flash title or one of those things. So, but yeah, and also, yeah, they've got, uh, they got a couple of them out. It's kind of cool. Nice. And these are the kinds of things I think they should just have perpetually available, but that's me. Yeah, you don't see much of that anymore. I mean, if, if the Justice League versus Legion miniseries was coming out in this kind of promotional mindset, we'd have gotten the gold lantern ring with the first issue. Oh, yeah. So. Well, and then there was the real nice ones. I They were, they were super expensive, but I have mm. two of them. I have both the indigo and the green power batteries with the rings where they light up if the ring touches them. Do you have the full-size ones? Yes. Because to tell you how big of a deal this whole event was, 
In addition to these free rings, they had the full-size power rings and batteries that, that Sam's talking about. They had, I think, quarter-size ones that I got, because I just didn't have the room for the full-size, you know, all seven or eight or whatever of them. Uh, plus, they did a set of the rings that are, you know, nice, uh, high-quality versions and stuff through DC Direct. Yeah, they're like aluminum. Hey, DC Direct did quite a bit of stuff with this. Yeah. So, it's... And I, I think I'd also heard somewhere, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, that the Legion Flight Ring, they did a version of that in the DC Direct action figures for some of the early Legionnaires. Oh, that would be kind of cool. I don't remember those, but sounds reasonable. I remember them. I have them around here somewhere. I just haven't, since I heard about that, gone back to go double check if that's true or not. Very cool. But anyways, I thought the rings were a very cool promotion to do with this. Yeah. Now, I don't think the particular issues they tied into were overly accessible and likely to keep readers after them, should the people who got them for the ring actually decide to read them, but they at least got them to pick up the issue. Yeah. So, next time we'll come back, we will do five through eight. We've got a few more questions from Jason Z that we'll uh, talk about then, too. Sounds like fun. Anything else? Are we good? I'm good. I'm good. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.